Our scripture reading today is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 9. In honor of God's word, would you please stand? Our scripture reader today is Don Hatfield. Listen as I read. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and the extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Okay, so we're uh, continuing in our series, our our vision series. Uh, We do this usually every fall. This year we're taking a few extra weeks because uh, we're taking a little bit of extra time to uh, kind of hone our attention and remember uh, together. Um, And so I want to take a few minutes and bring you up to speed with what we have been trying to remember and trying to clarify uh, together. And so uh, the way I've been referring to this is just like maybe some building blocks, uh, helping us realize as we think about who we are as a church, uh, we're kind of we're kind of building this off of some some realities, some ideas. And the first one, the most fundamental one, is the gospel itself. Uh, Our fundamental building block is what God has done. And as we say all the time, we want to represent this every week. We want to rehearse it and think about it together. Uh, A definition that we've used for years uh, of of the gospel would be this. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. And the Bible says that if you believe this good news, if you believe that Jesus is the one who actually can restore the world, including you, um, then you're you're scooped up into the arms of God, that you're adopted into his family, that you're made alive, and you're given a new identity. And that leads to our second uh, building block, is this sense of identity. Uh, What God has done in the gospel, and then who we are, our identity. A few weeks ago, uh, we got to rehearse these, but uh, the five identities that that our church uh, is thinking about here, worshiper, witness, family, servant, and steward, uh, that as we think about what God has done in us through Christ, he has given us this, this way of navigating the world. And a really easy place to see this is if you were to turn to Acts chapter 2, Uh, Acts chapter 2, the gospel is declared, the Spirit of God comes, it's this moment in church history we refer to as Pentecost Sunday, the Spirit shows up and and 3,000 people respond in faith, they are filled with the Spirit and they they, they come alive in in Christ. And by the end of Acts chapter 2, so that happens at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, by the end of Acts chapter 2, 
they're living out these identities. They've been given these identities and they're living them uh, in, in this beautiful, rich way where they function as, as worshipers. They function as witnesses. They, they want others to know who Jesus is. They function as a family. They're doing life together. They, they're serving their community and then they're stewarding uh, the gifts that God has, has given to them. And we see these five identities as just really key, uh, a, a key way that we view following Jesus. I think I actually said a couple weeks ago, you could almost use them as a diagnostic. And you could just look at your life and say, how am I doing as a worshiper? What, what would it look like for me to live out this identity of, as a worshiper? Uh, third set of building blocks, uh, our values. H- how do we behave? So let, to be real clear here, building blocks one and two, gospel and identity, those are fundamental. First, what God has done, and then who we are. Those are the fundamental building blocks. But as as we build this up, uh, there is a recognition. uh, And when we think about our values, how we behave, you know, maybe you could even call this like the secret sauce. Um, the, the, the way in which Sojourn Church navigates the world. What, what is it about this, this congregation um, that maybe when you attend here, it seems a little bit different, maybe a, a, a little bit of a unique dynamic. Uh, and again, there are a lot of churches in Traverse City that, that believe the gospel. Uh, so many people in Traverse City who have been made new in Christ and have the beautiful identity that Christ has poured out on them. And that is our point of unity with, the other, with other Christians in Traverse City and with the other churches in Traverse City. So much overlap, so much sharing, so much unity can be had and, and, and should be celebrated. But then if you just sort of say, what, 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 what about Sojourn Church? Um, we get more specific. And our, our values, um, you know, that we were kind of encouraged to think of this as a treasure hunt. Look around. What, what already exists uh, in, in your church? Don't, don't think about things that you hope exist. Um, and don't think about things that are super common, but what are the kind of the unique things that exist in our church? And uh, the four that we landed on were wholeness, dependence, generosity, and curiosity. In the last two weeks, we've touched on wholeness and dependence. When we think about wholeness, we're, we're thinking about living eager to see all things new. Uh, the, the word that we associated there, or maybe you would say the trait, is shalom. That in the first two chapters of the Bible, everything is right. Every system works right. Every relationship is right. There's no sickness. There's no brokenness. There's no sorrow. There's no sin. Everything's right. That's shalom. And then we, we realize in chapter 3 of Genesis that sin comes in and breaks the world. Fragmentation. This, this sense of, of wholeness, this sense of shalom is, is vandalized and, and lost. And the rest of the Bible, all the way up until the last two chapters of the Bible, is the story of the world that we're in. This world where shalom has been uh, violated, where shalom has been broken, where, where wholeness is, is broken. But along the way, we get this good news that Jesus is actually going to restore everything. He's actually going to make all things new. And he wants to start with individual hearts. And through faith in him, your heart can actually be made whole. Your heart can be made new. Your heart can be restored. Your heart can find peace with God, shalom with God. That relationship can actually be restored. And then we get to participate in the project of, of making things new here. Now, we're never going to get it done. We, not in our power. We, we can't do that, but we get to be part of it. And then there's this grand promise, and we see it in the last two chapters of the Bible, that actually the world is going to be made whole again, that all things will be made new, that Jesus is going to come back and do and complete what, what he started. So we said we, you know, we get to participate in that whole project. Uh, we're not after balance, 
We're after wholeness. We're after fullness. That's what we want to be about as a church. Second one was dependence, which we looked at last week. And that's living aware of our need for God and for others. And we leaned into the idea of agape love, this sense of, of actually self-sacrificing love, that, that dependence is, is rooted in that. We, we, we desperately need God, and we desperately need others, and we can, we can have the audacity to admit it. We, we can actually say that out loud, this clear recognition that we are in desperate need of God to rescue us. And one of our favorite phrases is, all you need is need. But most people don't have it. You know, do, do you? you? We are in desperate need of God to come and rescue us. We also need other people. We were not meant to run this race alone. We are not meant to live this life alone. The little phrase, lone wolves die. You're meant to navigate this in community, not as a lone ranger. And so we can actually admit that we need other people, that I'm actually a, a more faithful follower of Jesus when I have other people who know me and love me, who are trying to walk, walk this road uh, alongside me. This will all culminate on November 13th. Uh, when we share uh, kind of new mission language and a clarified strategy for the season ahead. You know, mission and strategy, why we exist and, and, and what we do. So with the rest of our time, uh, we're going to explore another value today, and that value is the value of, of generosity. So you heard the scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and that is uh, the 2 Corinthians, it's, it's, it's uh, the second book in a row. So there's 1 Corinthians. If you're, if you're in your Bible there, you'll see 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. And these are two letters that Paul wrote to a church that he had a lot of interaction with. And, and scholars, Bible scholars, think that Paul had a lot more than two letters, probably four letters, maybe more, that he had written to this church. And he had worked with them and communicated with them, and he had been trying to, to help this church figure out how to follow Jesus. And if you know anything about the church in Corinth, they, they had some problems doing it. They're, they're a little bit of a train wreck. They, they, they have a lot of problems. And it's, uh, it's kind of a frustrating uh, uh, read. As you read these letters and you begin to realize that it seems like this church has a lot of resources and a lot of potential. But boy, they, 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 fumble, they fumble it uh, a lot. Well, what you find out in verse 1 of chapter 8, um, that he talks about the churches in Macedonia. And Macedonia is on Paul's heart because Paul's actually in Macedonia when he's writing this. In chapter 7, we find out he's in Macedonia. So he's, he's thinking about these churches in Macedonia as he writes to the church in Corinth because he's sitting with them. He's sitting with them as he writes this letter to Corinth. And so Macedonia is impoverished. Corinth is very, very wealthy. Um, you, you could maybe, if we were trying to put it in some context that would make sense for us, maybe you could say, you know, he was like in rural West Virginia with churches in rural West Virginia, and he's writing, a, he's writing letters to New York City. Or maybe within the context of New York City, he, he's sitting in Harlem, and he's writing letters to churches in Manhattan. And so, so there's a stark difference in the condition of things. And so he's been sitting with these churches in Macedonia and he's encouraging them and helping them and edifying them. But he, he looks around and what he sees is an incredible level of poverty and hardship. And now it's time to write this church in Corinth again. This church with a lot of resources, a lot of, a lot of significance, a lot of money. And so as he writes to them, it's not surprising that those things are kind of playing off of each other 
at some level. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So as he writes to the church of Corinth, he says, Let me tell you what's happening here. Let me tell you what's happening in rural West Virginia. Let me tell you what's happening in the poor part of the city. Let, let me tell you what's happening among those who don't have much. And in verses 2 through 4, he says some amazing things. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That, that, that phrase, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The phrase in the relief of is actually using the word diakonos. And if you're familiar with that word, it's the same word that we get, the, the, the office of deacon. And in a local church, you have two offices. You have the office of elder and the office of deacon. And the office of deacon is like the lead, it's the lead servants. It's this, it's this invitation to serve, to serve with your hands, to serve in material ways. And here these poor, poor churches in Macedonia are begging, they are begging that they, like, for the favor of taking part in serving the other saints, the relief. It's the serving. That's what that word means, to relieve them, to serve them. They're begging Paul, hey, you're collecting an offering? Can, can we give? Hey, you're, you're collecting money. Like, can, we, can we put some in the pot? And you can just see the wheels in Paul's head. It's like, well, you don't have any. I, did, I didn't want to ask you because you, you, don't, you don't have any. And in verse 4, it says they were begging earnestly. Begging earnestly. That's two words that are giving you this sense of like, they, they're not stopping. They're, they're pestering Paul. Can we give? Can we be part of meeting the needs this idea of, he calls it a favor. They are begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. It means the privilege. That's actually the Greek word charis. And if you're familiar with the Greek word charis, it's grace. And so it's this, this idea where uh, they, 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 they look at it as like this privilege, this favor, this gift, this grace that they get to be part of. They get to be part of God meeting the needs of his people. And they're begging to do it. They want to be part of it. So uh, one, one scholar says, you know, apparently Paul had been reluctant to press the Macedonians because of their manifest poverty, but they demanded to have a share in it. And obviously Paul then says, for sure, for sure. Move to verses six and seven. And basically as Paul then is talking directly to the church at Corinth, he says, I mean, this is a paraphrase. He, he says, you're, you're good at so many things. You have so many things going for you. So many powerful things, so many significant things. Be good at this too. Be good at giving. Be, be, good, be good at, at generosity. Be, be good at, at, at giving. Let, let that be a, a hallmark of who you are as a people. See, Paul is calling them to something that both Christian and non-Christian historians uh, agree became a staple for Christians. Um, you know, the, the early church uh, was strikingly different than the culture around it. 
I just told you in Acts chapter 2, the the gospel is preached, the spirit shows up, the spirit shows up, the gospel is preached, 3,000 people come to faith, and they immediately begin living a different life. They immediately begin functioning in different ways. They pick up habits they didn't have before, and they begin to be messengers for for Jesus. They begin to be ambassadors for this this work of God in the world. And it created this, this dynamic where they were significantly, like strikingly different from the culture around them. And it's in uh, so many ways, but, but two of the ways that stick out were money, which you read about here in chapters eight and chapters nine, and sexuality, which if you were to read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul touches on sexuality with the church at Corinth multiple times. It's, it's kind of in our, in our, you know, it's like an urban context, Corinth was, and it was pretty loose. And so Paul addresses some serious issues going on in their church, and he touches on both money and sexuality. Think about what historians know about the first century, the Greco-Roman society that was going on in, in, in the first century. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of scholars, Christian and non-Christian, who, who would agree that the reality of the, of the dynamics in, in first century. So an author named Larry Hurtado talks about this. Kyle Harper, he's a professor at, at the University of Oklahoma. Um, Tom Holland, who is, uh, he wrote the book Dominion. Uh, Tom Holland is an, an atheist, uh, but he began looking into the history of, of, of Christianity uh, because uh, people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens seem to be indicating that Christianity was what was wrong with the world. And Tom Holland, who is also an atheist, was saying, yeah, that's, that's not how I read history. I, I, I actually, I don't think it's as bad as you're, as you're saying. And so Tom Holland ends up writing this monster book called Dominion. And if you haven't read it, it's, it's, you know, it's going to turn cold here and we're going to be stuck in our houses for a long time. Maybe you should get Dominion and, and read it. And just tr- let, 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 let Tom Holland, Tom Holland has no agenda. He has no agenda. He's, he's simply a historian who is saying, look, here's how it unfolded from the first century forward. Like th- these are the dynamics. When the gospel showed up in these communities, look at what happened. And so there's, there's multiple authors uh, that, that, that point to these dynamics. But when they look at the first century and the Greco-Roman uh, culture, here's, here's kind of the, the, a summary statement. The culture at that time basically gave nobody their money, and they gave everybody their body. So n- n- nobody gets my money, but your body? Boy, that was, that was a free-for-all. And if you read the book Dominion, you, you, you will find the, the cultural uh, approach to sexuality was loose and free. You know, sometimes we think, boy, the year 2022 has been so crazy. Year 2023, it's just, it's all falling apart. It's all going downhill. Well, you might be right. But just, you know, like, study, study the history. Because it, it's been really, really bad before. And it was really, really bad in the first century. So you have these, this, this dynamic where they gave nobody their money, but they basically gave everybody their body. Well, then the message of Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden, you have a group of people, these followers of Jesus, these Christians, who gave practically nobody their body, only in the context of marriage. Sex was only for marriage. And, and practically gave everybody their money. They're out there loving their neighbors. And they're helping the sick. Not people that they're related to. I mean, they were helping them too, but they, they were helping their neighbor that they weren't related to. The plagues came and the Christians stayed. They, they loved and they cared and they engaged. 
In other words, while the Greco-Roman culture was promiscuous with their bodies and stingy with their money, Christians were promiscuous with their money and stingy with their bodies. And this, this is a track record that is, is, is clear. These were dynamics that were at play in the people of God, that they completely inverted those dynamics. You see what's happening? Generosity for the Christian is the overflow of a fresh view of the world, just like our sexuality is too. Generosity embraces a, a biblical understanding of stewardship. There's these, a pair of authors, Chris Willard and Jim Shepard, and, and then when they talk about stewardship, they say, here are the three dynamics at play in Christian stewardship. Number one, God is the owner of everything. So think about the first century. God is the owner of everything. He owns your body and he owns your dollars. And so as these Christians, as these people come to faith and they're made alive in the spirit, all of a sudden they're awakened to this reality that God owns everything. And so to use our specific examples, oh, God God owns my body. What does he have to say about how I should use my body? And oh, God God owns all my my money. What, What should I do with my money? Number two, what we have has been given to us by God. So not only is God the owner of everything, but then he's decided to distribute things. And he's entrusted to you certain things. Not all of us the same amount. Not all the same IQ, not all the same amount of dollars, not all the same amount of energy, but but he's distributed. And in the first letter that we have in the Bible to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says to them, what do you have that you have not been given? And if you've been given it, why do you act as if it's yours? And so there's this, this recognition that the, the stewardship that we have before the Lord recognizes that we, we've been given these things. And then third, the resources we possess are assets to be invested in the kingdom. If you think of the many, many parables that, that Jesus taught, so many of them touch on or teach these kinds of ideas, these very things, that what you have, is, it's, not, it's not an accident that you have it. And your responsibility now is to manage it, to steward it, to guide it, so that these kinds of dynamics, the things that God wants to see happen on the earth, actually happen. We are invited to live for something bigger than ourselves. Uh, For the last few years, maybe nine or eight or nine years now, a little phrase that we want to be a church not for ourselves. Uh, We've referenced that phrase many times. We want to be about something bigger. We want to be a church not for ourselves. We want to be a church for Jesus. We want to be a church for our neighbors. We want to be a church that's outward facing. We want to be a church that recognizes, just like the church at Corinth, boy, we have been entrusted with some serious resources. And when you think about what's gathered in this room, the the people that call Sojourn home, the opportunity that we have to align ourselves and to actually impact the world, to, to work together, to be part of something that God is doing in this area, in this city. It is an incredible gift. And Paul's words for us, uh, that, that Paul's words for the church at Corinth are words for us. This recognition where he says, man, you guys are good at a lot of things. Be good at this. Be good at generosity. Be good at opening your hands. Be good at, at recognizing that your resources aren't just for you. Your resources are meant to bless the world, for the world to actually begin looking a little bit more like that shalom, a little bit more whole, that we actually get to participate 
in this work of God in the world. And one of the ways that God's doing it is through us, through the resources that he's entrusted to us. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. Let me show you a couple examples of, of how this has shown up uh, at Sojourn, why, why, it, why it landed as one of, our, um, one of our values. I might even refer to some of these as like flashes, you know, or flares that we, we, we pray and hope that they, they continue to grow into bigger and more beautiful displays. But a few, a few examples, and these are not to pat ourselves on the back. They're, they're just snapshots, and they're reasons why we think it's valid for this to be one of our uh, values. So financial, or you know, our finances. I mean, this is obvious, like kind of the most obvious one to, to, to poke at. Um, over the last three years, uh, so I mean, over the last, uh, I've been here 16 years, and there's been an incredible amount of things that we could point to and celebrate in regard to God's financial provision through, through you as you uh, display God's, uh, God's generosity. But over the last three years, uh, in all the, the COVID disruption, um, this church family has continued to contribute faithfully. Uh, face, faces have changed. Uh, the number of people that show up in this building in a physical manner on a Sunday morning, like that's changed. Uh, it's, I mean, it's fluctuated dramatically over the last three years. But you know, we ended 2020 and 2021 both in the black, uh, and we have a chance to end in the black in 2022. And we did not, uh, we kept every one of our missions commitments. Uh, we've uh, had more money in our mercy fund than we've ever had because of your generosity. You know, uh, in, in the last 10 years, our, our general fund giving has maybe quadrupled, something like that, pretty close to about the size our church, our church has quadrupled uh, up until the beginning of, of COVID. And so quadruple, our mercy funds have, have grown 10 times what they were 10 years ago. And, and to see that, that we do a, a big mercy offering every Holy Week, and to see that offering keep growing almost every single year, it getting bigger and seeing your response to this opportunity to give to things that actually are outside of our walls, this idea of trying, trying to bless our community, it is something that is not lost on us and that we celebrate. I've been asked a lot of times over the years uh, about our approach to giving. You know, why don't we collect an offering? Or, you know, why don't we talk about it uh, more than, than we do? And I, I, could, I could make this story last really long, and I'm not going to let that happen. But in, in 2012, uh, we were actually at, at a conference, and the speaker was saying that one of the great tragedies is that in America, Sunday has become the great day where you come and give back to God where you come and you, and you serve in kids' ministry or you write your giving check or you, 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 you do these actions and it's like you come and you do for God. And he said, what's so sad about that is we, we need to do for God. Like we need to serve and we need to give. The church wouldn't exist without those things. But we need to get the order right that you desperately need to receive. When you come on Sundays, you are in desperate need to receive you, you, you need to receive way more than God needs your money. You, you, you need to receive way more than we need more volunteers. You are in desperate need to receive. So we're driving back from that conference and the question comes up, what are ways that we could help our church and ourselves realize that on Sundays we need to receive? And one of the ideas was, well, what if instead of collecting an offering, we say, you know, like give the offering whenever. Why don't you receive the word? Why don't you receive the good news of the gospel? Why, why, don't, you, why don't you take it in full dose? And let's, let's focus on receiving it 
instead of inviting you to do. Again, if you don't do, if you don't give, if you don't serve, the church doesn't exist. But we just want the order right. So we decided, let's put out giving boxes. And so in 2012, uh, we, we asked uh, a guy in our church, John Morris, to, to craft some, uh, uh, some beautiful giving boxes. And, and, and a few months later, he did. And in uh, early 2013, we put out giving boxes. And if you were here in 2013, you know that was one of the hardest, uh, the first quarter of 2013 was one of the hardest times of our church's, uh, the, the life that I've been here. Had a very hard quarter, really, really hard quarter. And in, that, in the middle of that, John calls and says, hey, the giving boxes are ready. And a lot of people were nervous how those giving boxes were going to go. Because it's like, if we put giving boxes out and we don't give a, put a plate in front of people, are people going to give? And man, it has just been an incredible journey over the last nine years to see this church family hunt out the giving boxes. Like, we don't even put a sign, until recently, there wasn't a sign on the giving boxes. We had a, I've had a lot of new people come to me and be like, do, 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 you, take, do you take money here? Yeah, and it's like, yeah, and they're like, well, where, where do we do that? And so, you know, th- there's, there's something where there's a balance <laughs> to this for sure, but we want to have the order right, and we want to recognize that our desperate need on Sundays is to be receivers of the good news about Jesus, and so uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's a way in which we look at this church family, and we see the beauty of a group of people who have been drinking in God's generosity to them, and then responding with financial uh, partnership. I want to thank you for that. So that's at Sojourn Proper. But the other way we see it financially is other ministries, local ministries, things like like Young Life and Thrive and Single Mom and Safe Harbor, partnerships in this city that we we love as a church family. We do not expect every dollar that you give to go to Sojourn Church. We love your generosity pouring out into other good places that are doing good work. And those local ministries are things that we celebrate. And I know from some of your stories that that's a model of how you give your money and how you use your time investing in things like that. And then international ministries. You heard the Eastmans talking about Christ's hope. Dave, Dave Case is the executive director, and man, we, we, we love Christ's Hope, and so many of you in this room sponsor kids through Christ's Hope, and those dollars don't come to Sojourn, those, color, those dollars go to Christ's Hope. There's, there's missions work around the globe that our church participates in, but then there's above and beyond that I know some of you do, and these are just beautiful displays of financial generosity uh, that, 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 we, that we love. So the finances. Second would be our city. And this is not directly related to, to money, our, our city, our, our region. You know, think about mercy ministry and the way that over the last 10 years, the way that God in his grace has allowed uh, mercy ministry to just become like almost like an identifier of our local church. Uh, in, in our community, I, I meet with pastors on a frequent basis and our, our, our church is well known for its engagement in mercy ministry. And yes, COVID has blown up a lot of those things, and we're eager to see them uh, regrow and restart because it's essential. We, we, look at our, we look at generosity and say part of that is how we use our time. Part of it is how, how we see our neighbor, the, the, the open-handedness that we want to have. And we've seen over the years a decentralized, mobilized congregation that's getting involved in all kinds of different mercy ministries, using your hours and your time to bless this city. It's an incredible display of of generosity. 
Uh, we've seen it in, in, in uh, TC High, Traverse City High School, uh, and, and the investment of many of our, several of our people in our church um, in, in getting a basketball team started and getting a cheerleading squad started and trying to get a volleyball team started and just uh, coming alongside a, a local school and, and caring for them. We've seen it in Kids Hope and our, our, our mentoring there at, at, East Silver, or at Silver Lake Elementary School. It's a heart to have an outward face. We've seen it some. Man, we want to see that multiplied. Another aspect of our city is other churches. Our attitude towards other churches needed some addressing. Let's just put it that way. It needed some addressing. And God has been so, so kind over the last 10 or 12 years. And uh, my, my, my friendship with, with various pastors has just grown and grown, and I've celebrated that. I, I think it's right to say we, we now see our city and our region as more of an ecosystem to where we recognize that we're not the only church in Traverse City. We're not the only church in Traverse City that loves Jesus and that preaches the gospel. And we want to lock arms with these other churches that do that. We want to see Jesus be made much of. You know, when other faithful churches win, it's a win for Jesus. And we want to celebrate that. We want to recognize how beautiful that is. You know, I referenced the, the, the Refuge Church in Cadillac, the church that uh, we sent out one year ago was their first Sunday. And, you know, a year ago, last October, you know, there, there were regular attenders who were here who are now regular attenders at, at the Refuge. Now, that, that might mean a few less bodies in our auditorium, but it means that there's a church in Cadillac that's doing really well at year one in a place where there was a little bit of a shortage of good churches. And the Refuge Church is a step in the right direction to bringing gospel presence to the Cadillac region. And so, yeah, a little bit less, you know, some of our family members are there now, but we look at that as a win for the community. So our, our city and just a, a love for our city and openness towards them. And then third, uh, our, uh, time. And this, this relates a little bit to the one before. Not, not just money. There are a lot of people in our community who, who, are, who are lonely. You know, they actually, they don't need a bag of groceries. They don't need a plate of cookies. They need a cup of coffee. coffee. They, they, they need a conversation. They need people to sit down with them, to see them. They need embodied human beings. You know, there's a book called The Other Half of Church, and some of you have read it. And, and, and it's, a, it's a good book, and it's, it's worth your time. But one of the things that that book uh, navigates a little bit is like brain science. And they talk about the power of a smile. And it's like, I got done reading that book, and I'm like, you know what? Smiles are superpowers. Like, it, if, if you can smile at somebody, it's like, it's like having superpower. Your brain has these things called mirror neurons. And when someone smiles at you, it, it, it does something to you. It does something to your brain. And like our community, our society is lonely. And there's, there's so much division and so much animosity. It's like, what, what if we just were, were people who actually gave time to our neighbors with a smile? We showed up and cared about them. And one of the ways that we want to see this happen is, is, is in our community groups. Our community groups here so that you find a place where you receive a smile, where you receive a hug, where you spend time with people, where other people carve time out of their schedule. Your community group is not just for you. Your community group is so that you get to be part of caring for others. And man, that's on display in a few ways. I just said about Chris Sheeman having a fall last Sunday. Boy, his community group has wrapped around him and loved him and cared for him over these days. Uh, you, you remember the very first story in our story series was, was, uh, was Bob's story. 
And Bob and Chris are in the same community group. So their community group is caring in, 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 in beautiful ways and in loving people. Several of the other stories that we had that we've shared, uh, that's been the story. It's community wrapping around them and carving out time and giving themselves to be present and to be around. It's beautiful. Now you might say that, you know, okay, thanks for the examples. This, this, sounds, this sounds good, but man, how can, how can I do that? Well, the Macedonians actually give us the roadmap. Did, did you notice that Paul points to their joy. In verse 2, he says, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. He's, he says, they've got joy. Look, look at the phrases around it. A test of affliction and extreme poverty. And what's in the middle? Abundant joy. Yeah, just like you'd think. No, no, you wouldn't think that. And yet that's what's happening abundance of joy, and then you get to verse 4, and they're begging to be part of giving. They're begging to be generous to others. I mean, I, my guess is that you want joy in your life. I, I think you do. I, I do. Well, you know, an overlooked accelerant to joy is giving, sacrificial giving. We, 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 we think if we, need, we get more, we'll be happy. If we have more, if we accumulate more, if I have more free time, if I have more dollars, we think that that's where joy's at. Well, the Bible actually pitches a different idea. It's actually giving, and not just any kind of giving, but sacrificial giving, open-handedness. You know, there, there's a passage in the Bible that says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. And that's almost this idea where it's like, I'm just giving stuff away. I'm just like, I'm, I'm letting my neighbor use my mower and I'm letting my brother use my computer. And it's like, I don't, my right hand doesn't know what my left hand's doing. I'm just, I'm open-handed to the world around me. I'm open-handed to the needs around me. If you just go one more chapter in this book, 2 Corinthians, you get to chapter 9 and Paul says to them, God loves a cheerful giver. I heard a Bible scholar say one time that that word cheerful could be translated hilarious. And the idea is almost like this. I can't believe we just wrote that check. That's hilarious that we just did that. Or maybe you get your annual statement from, from a, a, a nonprofit or from our church and you see how much you gave over the course of the year and it's like high five. It's, 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 it's hilarious. It's, it's a beautiful thing to have that kind of open hand. N.T. Wright said that the kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. That's what it was all about. Just like, look at this, you know? And you put that value with our value of wholeness. We're not looking for balance. We're looking for fullness. We're looking for wholeness. We want things to be made right. We want things to, 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 to flourish. You know, Jesus actually said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. An author said about that phrase, that means that you will get more blessings, have more joy, experience greater happiness for giving than you ever will from receiving. That's an upside down kingdom. We don't, we, our natural, we don't believe that. And yet that's what the Bible's offering us. That's what Paul is displaying before the church at Corinth. 
Joy is the primary trait that we want to lean into regarding generosity. We, we don't, I, I do not teach tithing. I, I don't think that that's a New Testament principle. I think that 10%, that's what tithe means. I think 10% is a great rule of thumb. Use it, fine, whatever. But the, the, the idea of the New Testament is that you can actually, you, you're free to give. It's, it's, a, it's a joyful thing. It's open-handed. It's not about hitting a percentage. It's about what does generosity look like in my life? What, what does it look like to be joyfully, hilariously giving? Verse 2 and 3, he talks about their abundance of joy. Not just joy, but abundant. But how do you get it? Where did this abundance of joy come from? I mean, it's in the middle of a severe test of affliction. It's in the middle of extreme poverty. Well, I'll keep reading. Look at verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command. He just told them, be really good at giving. And he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul says, Jesus gave up everything, So Jesus, who was eternally rich in heaven, gave up everything and became poor so that you could have everything. So that you could be rich in the only way that actually matters. And when you realize that that's what Jesus has done for you, he became poor so that you could become rich in the only way that matters, man, that changes the way you see little pieces of green paper. It it changes your perspective on what money is and what what it's doing in your life. Because the story that you are living is dramatically changed. Jesus did not just give a lot. He wanted to give a lot. In the book of Hebrews, we are told, for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. that's, That's the good news, is that Jesus, out of joy, went to the cross and won for you a relationship with the God of heaven. Well, if that's true... If you are now rich in the only way that matters, then you can turn. You can turn back to this world and give with joyful generosity too. We really are more blessed to give than receive. As we come to the table, I want you to consider, do you realize that Jesus, who was eternally rich, really did become poor so that you could have the riches of life with God? This this little meal is just a taste of it, a little bread and a little drink. The, The feast of eternity is what's awaiting This is just a foretaste. This is supposed to be a snapshot, a recognition of what he's won for us. And so if you've received Christ, come and get these elements. Come and get the bread and the cup. And if you haven't, man, receive Christ today. He went to the cross out of joy so that you might be restored to God. There'll be some prayers on the screens. Uh, Servers, please come. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this letter 2,000 years ago to a church in, in Corinth, uh, God, to, to a group of people who had a lot of resources, but were trying to figure some things out. I think I can relate to that. Try, trying to figure out what it looks like to navigate this world, what it looks like to, to follow you faithfully in this world. God, we, we need your help. So would you help us to have eyes to see who Jesus is, to see what he has done on our behalf, to see that our tanks are so full that you have filled them with your abundant mercy, with your eternal love, that that opens our hands and frees us to bless others. 
God, would you help our church? I thank you for the ways that we've seen generosity on display. God, would you fan those things into flame? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.